We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today, a conversation with presidential son, presidential brother, and unsuccessful presidential candidate Jeb Bush, the former governor of Florida. He's coming to town as part of the St. Louis Speakers Series. He's now the chairman of the Foundation for Excellence in Education. Bush is coming off a very tough year. Both his father, former President George H.W. Bush, and his mother, Barbara, passed away. Yeah, it was a sad time, and, and um, but at the same time, it was a... It was a wonderful time to be able to celebrate the life of my mom and dad and to see the outpouring of love and and um, incredible support to our family so uh, my parents lived purposeful lives and they they actually like I believe that um, there's a beautiful place in heaven for those that um, accept Christ as their savior so uh, we celebrated his life as much as we mourned his loss and same with my mom yeah. I had many opportunities to talk to your father and uh, remember all of them very, very well. He was quite a guy, and I loved uh, having the opportunity to chat with him. Yeah, he was, he's, he was funny, um, incredibly uh, generous, uh, very kind, treated everybody equally. Uh, he was an incredible role model for, for a kid as well as an adult. Um, all my mistakes are my own doing. My parents really really were incredible models for how to how to live a purposeful life. You'll be in St. Louis in the not-too-distant future. What uh, is the message you're bringing to the, uh, the speaker series? My message is to basically paint a picture of where we are as a country, that we have uh, there's all sorts of uncertainty. People are think we're on the wrong track, uh, even, even with the good economic... Uh, conditions that we're living through, there's this deep angst that exists because our the institutions that we've relied on have eroded at the very time when life seems to be accelerating. The uh, disruptive nature of technology creates a lot of uh, winners that have done extraordinarily well, but a lot of potential losers as well. And so uh, I'm going to talk about three or four things that I think we need to do to, to um, turn this technological wave um, away from being something that can drown us and turn into something that we can that we can ride to a better life and uh, there, there are all sorts of things that I think if we fix uh, this will be the greatest time to be alive in our country no doubt you'll be talking politics of uh, people will be asking questions and I will as well what has happened to the Republican Party under Donald Trump Republican Party has cracked up it's lost its uh, purpose uh, one of the more disappointing elements of this. Put aside the president for a moment. Republicans have always stood for fiscal responsibility, and uh, our, our budget deficit and the entitlement challenges inevitably are going to create bigger structural deficits. And so both parties are to blame for this, and um, my party is, is, uh, can be criticized uh, just as much as the Democrats, and it's deeply troubling to me that we have a trillion-dollar deficit this fiscal year that's coming up uh, that, that is a precursor to even bigger deficits, and no one seems to care in Washington, D.C. 
Meanwhile, you know, at the local and state level, conservatives and Republicans seem to do pretty well. They balance budgets. Uh, they reform the things that don't seem to be working. But D.C. Republicanism is totally cracked up. As far as the president is concerned, uh, a lot of people, and I think in both parties, are asking why more Republican leaders are not standing up to him and trying to rein him in on such things as the government shutdown, for instance. No, I, I think you're right. I think there should be uh, more Republicans <clears throat> saying, when the president gets it right, celebrate the success for sure. But when he, when he either uh, put us, you know, if it's policy or if it's just his own behavior, does things that are wrong. Um, he should be called out. Uh, and we're, I think part of the problem now is that we're in this period, hopefully temporary, of, of tribalism where, you know, if you're a Democrat and, and a Republican does something bad, your head explodes, uh, but then someone on your team does the exact same thing and you're quiet and vice versa, that's not healthy. Bad behavior is bad behavior. And, um, and so I do think uh, there should be more you know, reining in bad behavior, not just for the president, but across the board. What, what do you make of this current standoff with regard to the, uh, the shutdown and the wall? The shutdown is embarrassing, plain and simple. It's embarrassing. It's, it's, you can't explain it to a normal person. What, this, is the, this is the one job that Congress has, is to pass appropriations bills, uh, preferably before the end of a fiscal year, so that... Um, government can work effectively. And uh, immigration is now a wedge issue. It is not a policy. If it was a policy, it would have been fixed 10 years ago. But both the left and the right now see this as a a wedge political issue to, um, you know, to prey on people's fears and their angst. And it's shameful. It's embarrassing and shameful. And a lot of people are going to be, be hurting if this doesn't get resolved. Well, a lot of people already are hurting, and the stories are coming out day by day at telling of you know, the disaster, people having to make choice between medicine and food, for instance, and gas for the car. Right. You're not, you know, ultimately many of these workers will get paid, uh, not necessarily by law, but by custom. But in the interim, what do you do? You know, you can't, if your credit cards run out, you can't, you can't function. So as this goes on, there's going to be a lot of uh, unnecessary sacrifice by a whole lot of people. Should the Mitch McConnells of the world be, be uh, more forceful in dealing with this with the president? Look, I don't, uh, my, my belief is that this should be the catalyst for broad-based immigration reform. There's a path forward. It's to provide uh, a path to legalize status for the dreamers, uh, for border enforcement that is, you know, a, a strategic approach that includes a wall, if you will, in some places, includes technology, includes uh, better enforcement. Sixty percent of people that come here legally come with a legal visa and then overstay. That's 60 percent each year's um, illegal immigrants are created by legal immigration. Um, there are all sorts of things that we could do to fix this. The asylum process is, is run amok. Um, but, you know, rather than do that, somehow this is viewed, if we just keep holding on, the president's going to be hurt, and the president views it the exact opposite way. It's all about their own, you know, personal, political, uh, where they stand politically rather than solving this problem. 
that's the problem with Washington, D.C. now, um, and it's quite dangerous, I think, if it continues. Is the president going to be hurt, do you think? I mean, he seems to have a, a layer of Teflon, uh, and certainly has evidenced that over the last couple of years. The president has uh, a connection with a, a group of voters that is real and it's strong, and um, a lot of these things are related to maintaining that relationship. But there's a broad number of people that increasingly are disgusted by this. So I don't think it's it's a winner on either side when you shut down the government for, you know, now we're in our third week. I don't, I don't see anybody wins on that. What advice would you have, having gone through this yourself, for anyone who would be uh, of either party, who would be running against the president in 2020? What, what advice do you have for them? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't do it very well, did I? So not sure I'm, a, I'm the right guy to ask, but I would uh, I would try to run a campaign, um, not against the president here, just in general. I think we need to restore uh, a higher degree of civility and talk about issues that are important to people and, and, and bet on that. But some, at some point, there's going to be a change, because if you're going to if you're going to get into a fight with uh, with candidates that don't believe that, that believe the best way to win is divide and conquer, to push people down and make yourself look better, there's no one better than President Trump on that. You can't out-Trump Trump. So you have to try a different path. It looks to me like the Democrats will sort that out. They'll have 30 people running, and, you know, gosh, some will try uh, to out-Trump Trump, and, and uh, they may win. And if they do, we're in for, um, you know, four more years of, of uh, dysfunction. Why is his base so loyal to him, do you think? People are very anxious about their lives and about the future. They see all of these, they, they, they're looking for answers of why it is that uh, they're, they're lagging behind. And um, the president has laid out, uh, it's, you know, varying degrees different, it's, it's immigrants, it's the Mexicans, it's... Um, it's the Chinese, and, 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 and I think they're, they're saying the institutions we've relied on, the elites that kind of run the show, they don't care about us anymore. And the president has really been effective of connecting with, with a group of people that um, are deeply depressed, you know, deeply um, pessimistic about their future. And, um, you know, you give him credit politically for that, but what, what, what the next step is, to, is should be to connect with these voters with policies that will lift them up, to give them a sense that their lives can be made better rather than attacking uh, straw men um, kind of uh, challenges. Mexico's not the problem. The problem is that we're 10 years from now, there could be uh, the continuation of artificial intelligence, automation, big data analytics, all of, the, all of these things converging to create uh, fewer and fewer jobs for a larger number of people. That's the scary thing, and we can fix the things that would make that, um, uh, you know, mitigate those challenges and turn them into opportunities, but we're not doing that. Should the president be primaried? I'm going to let someone else figure <laughs> if they can do that or not. That's, <laughs> well, I was, uh, <laughs> if they do, they better, they better strap it on and fasten their seatbelts because it'll be a wild ride. It's not going to be Jeb Bush. I take it you're through. No, sir. It won't be me. Uh -huh. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now um, with regard to the uh, Foundation for Excellence in Education. Uh, where are we now? What are the challenges as you and that organization see it uh, today? 
the challenge, and it's one of those great structural challenges that uh, relates to people's anxiety, I think, is that about a third of our kids graduate from high school, college, and or career ready. A third. Now, 80% have a high school diploma, but for those that go on to college or community college, roughly half of them have to take remedial English or math. They have to take high school math and reading over again before they start taking college-level credits. And very few people are actually um, career-ready. They don't have a nationally recognized certificate that says that they've earned um, the certain skills to be able to get a job. And so transforming our education system to, to, to raise that level up much higher is what our foundation is about. It's, um, uh, it's hard work because 13,000 government-run, unionized, politicized monopolies is the governance model of K-12 education in our country. And there's a lot of focus on the economic interests of the adults and not enough on how do we transform our education system so that every child can graduate from high school, college, and or career ready, ready to go with the, you know, with the grit and determination and the skills necessary to, to pursue uh, a whole array of, of possibilities rather than just one track. Let me get your take on a couple of prominent voices in the area of education. One, Bernie Sanders, college education should be free and available to all. Well, that's, that's foolhardy in my mind. What we ought to do is make sure that people are equipped to be able to go to college. And it's fine for uh, states to lower tuition uh, wherever they can. Florida has the second lowest tuition for in-state students. And we have a Bright Future scholarship that, that everybody that um, achieves a certain SAT scoring grade point average goes to college. At least their tuition is free. But to do that from Washington, D.C., without any kind of parameters around it, I just don't. I, I think that's foolhardy. How about Betsy DeVos, uh, vouchers, uh, school choice, charter schools? I'm for all of that. I think we, we need to empower parents to make decisions. Betsy DeVos was a a member of our board of directors of our foundation. I'm a huge fan of her efforts. Um, she's much maligned amongst the, you know, the, the folks that are protecting the status quo, but she has a heart for kids. Um, and um, I think empowering parents to make these decisions more and more is a better way to go. Our time is somewhat limited. One, one final question for you, going back to politics. And that is uh, one of the new senators, of course, is uh, Mitt Romney, former presidential contender. Um, is he the guy, do you think, that might uh, be able to stand up to uh, the president and some of the goings-on? We'll see. Uh, I'm a huge Mitt Romney fan. And um, while I don't know exactly why he wanted to go back uh, after, you know, having served in different ways uh, to the United States Senate, um, having having voices there that are principled and committed to conservative ideas and to call out the kind of behavior when it when it happens that's inappropriate, uh, I, I welcome that. And maybe that will create a very different kind of uh, environment in D.C. We'll have to wait and see, though. Yeah. One final thought. Uh, what, what do you expect from Bob Mueller? I have no idea. Uh, I would just hope that I'm not a big fan of special prosecutors. I think they have way too much power and and not a lot of accountability, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, it's taken way too long. I mean, it's time to to um, for 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 us to move on. 
um, after the the facts are laid out. So hopefully this will will find out what he's what he's up to in the next couple of months. Well, it's time for us to move on, Jeb Bush. I want to thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us. We look forward to seeing you in St. Louis on the 22nd. Fantastic. Thank you, Don. That was former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. He'll be in St. Louis on January 22nd as part of the St. Louis Speakers Series. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.